Hello. Morning. Good morning, everyone. I don't know how many were here two years ago or the two years before that, yes. but we like to come back every two years and take over the stage. <laughs> and they let us. <laughs> I don't know why. So Steve can wear casual. <laughs> um, so, yes, I'm Nikki, and this is my husband, Ryan Bailey, and here are our four children. Um, our oldest, Zeb, is about to be 11. Our second one is Jaya. She's nine. Our third is Asher. He's about to turn seven. And our youngest is Eden, and she just turned four. And we have been living in Cambodia for six years, and this is what it looks like when you go to a Khmer wedding. Not the att- people attending, but if you are involved in the wedding party, this is what you get to wear, and it's super fun. And they let people, they have these photo, um, these stores where you can go in and you get all dressed up like a Khmer princess and a, a Cambodian prince. <laughs> and like, our kids actually really love it. So, um, As you can tell. And, but notice how we excluded the picture of us. <laughs> we got dressed up too, but we figured we're right here. You, yeah. you get, that's enough. There was one time they put us all in pink, head to toe, like Pepto-Bismo color. We're like, okay. But it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for this guy. Um, so we wanted to share a little bit about our entry into Cambodia and what that looked like and what God did through that process and how that ultimately led us into what we're doing today. And I wanted to start out with some word from the most popular book in the Bible, and everyone's, everyone knows this book so well, the book of Haggai. <laughs> you know, so it's a classic. Um, the re- how I got to this word, um, I was just flipping through the word one morning, not sure where to go with it, and just was like, all right, just opening the Bible today, and I opened it up and landed on the first chapter. And as I read, I was just astonished about how this the story in this Bible, in this book just really paralleled what I feel like God did for us and to us as we entered into Cambodia and what he is continuing to do. Um, as I read the word, I, I just want to give you the, the picture that God gave me as I was reading it. And um, a lot of you know that the Old Testament actually foreshadows the New Testament. And so the story is about the temple and the condition that it was in. And as I read it, I really saw how the Old Testament temple represented the New Testament temple, which is us. It's it's us. We hold, we are the holders of the Holy Spirit. And so as I read that, I'm going to switch over my notes to my Bible and be a 21st century Christian and read from my phone. So give a little patience with me there. And I'm going to start off with chapter 1, verse 3. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what is happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what is happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So as I read this, it really reminds me of our first two years in Cambodia when we left our culture. Now we're all a product of our culture. We're all Americans, and with it comes good things and comes bad things. And what comes out of you when you leave your culture is the baggage are the bad things, <laughs> which is good, but it's a very painful process and one you don't really expect. 
And so what I saw here as I read the word was God was saying, you beautify your lives. You comfort yourself. Everything is at, you know, right there at your disposal. And so it's so easy to neglect your temple and everything that's inside of you. We all carry wounds. We all have junk that we refuse to acknowledge and don't want to. It's uncomfortable, and we don't have to because we can, we can go and shop, get a new hairstyle, go golfing, um, eat chocolate, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, whatever our thing is. It's, so, it's just there. And so when you move yourself out of that, it's not there anymore. And you sort of panic because you want it so badly. And God's like, hey, I'm right here. This is what I wanted you to see the whole time. And so I felt like that's what God did to us those first two years is he pointed out all those things. And then he began to say, let's rebuild. This is going to be hard work. Rebuilding is not easy. And it says in the word here, now go up into the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. So he's going to say, this is going to be hard work. So I'm going to, so I don't have to read the whole chapter. I'm going to skip down to verse 12. And it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people, began to obey the message from the Lord their God. And when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So this is what I really, I really enjoy this part because he points it out and he doesn't just convict and leave us there and says, take care of it. You better do something about this. He says, no, I am here. And it gets even better. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. And they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of heaven's armies. So this is why this gets even better. He then sparked the enthusiasm. In another translation, it says he stirred their spirits. So it's God. It's God that's going to do it. Our job as his children are just to surrender and let him do it. Is this easy? Absolutely not. And it wasn't easy for us out in Cambodia. We were on survival mode, and we thought, we need to have it together. We we knew this was going to be a challenge. Let's take it on. Let's get this done. And in the middle of that, the reality was we were falling apart. So as we prepared to go to Cambodia, we were warned, of course, of its challenges. We knew it was going to be really hard. And one of the things that helped us get through it was our organization told us that moving into another culture is like reverting back to toddlerhood because you don't know how to talk. You don't know how to function. You don't know where to get food. You don't know how to buy a car. You don't know how to buy furniture. You don't, you don't even know how to rent a house. I mean, you are... You have no clue. And so just like a toddler, we began to have adult temper tantrums. And it was fun because I'm having temper tantrums and he's having temper tantrums and we're making each other have temper tantrums because of their temper tantrums. And so it was just, there was a lot of stress as we entered into this culture. But a lot of it, what it was, wasn't necessarily the culture's fault. It was what was coming out of us and what God was using the culture to do, which was just stripping idols and junk out of us. He was cleaning up and rebuilding our temples. And I'm sorry to switch back to my notes. 
Um, so through those two years, they were, I'm not going to lie, they were the hardest two years of my life personally. And I hit rock bottom emotionally. I, I don't think you could go any lower than where I was. And I finally got to that place where I really probably should have been taken off the mission field because it wasn't going well. But God, by his grace, kept me on somehow. And I survived it, came back for our first furlough, and started seeking counseling for a few things and got to that point where I could go back. And because I returned, God did something just magnificent in my life. And through the surrender that I found, I mean, it really took me to a place where I said to myself, all right, God, I am horrible at being a human being. You're just going to have to do something with this (laughs) because I can't do it. And so I feel like he had that moment where he was like, yes, I've been waiting for you to say that to me. (laughs) I've been waiting for this moment where you said, yeah, I can't do this. And so then I was able to meet the Lord and let him into my life in such an astounding way that I didn't even know existed. And because of that, I felt like I was sort of ushered into the ministry that I was called to do out in Cambodia. And I was able to proceed in ways that I never thought was possible. And um, as, as I think back to it, I feel like the Lord has kind of shown me that I had what's, what is called a Peter moment. And we all need our Peter moment, which was Peter, you know, the apostle was, was overzealous, always shouting out the wrong things. But man, did he have a heart for the Lord. And I feel like that was me in a lot of ways. Just like, no, Lord, you will not go and die. <laughs> and so, um, but what happened was Peter denied Jesus three times. And it was his low point. It's where he hit rock bottom. And he didn't know what to do with that except for surrender and say, all right, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. But then when he's on that fishing boat and he sees Jesus on that beach, he knows that is who I need. I don't need anything else. And so he, he stripped off his robe. He's like, I don't even know. I, need, I don't even need clothes. I just need what is over there. And he just dove in and just with, in desperation and in hunger said, I need Jesus. And I feel like that's God has used Cambodia in that way for us. And um, yeah, and because of that, we feel like he's ushered us into a term that we like to use, which we like to use original design. We all have an original design in him. We're all a work of art. The word says we're a masterpiece. And we were not walking in that until we let him get to us, until we let him clean us off and really become that temple that he calls us to be. And he does it. He's the one that does it. We needed, he says, I am with you. And he can stir that enthusiasm in us to let him just work at us. And it's not easy, but it's a beautiful process. And in hindsight, you just, yeah, you just fall into that person you feel like God has always called you and designed you to be. Um, and so through that, leading into that, I was started working with an organization called Daughters of Cambodia, and they rescue women and men from sex trafficking. And I get to go and pray with them. And so there's the building, and there's the room. And it's just this little hot, sweaty room. And we go and we sit on the floor, and these people come in, and they share their stories. And they're not easy to listen to. They're incredibly hard to listen to. And... And I'm so glad that God has has done what he has done with my heart because I probably would have panicked if I heard some of these stories. I would not know what to do with them. And instead of panicking now, I just feel this peace, like, okay, God, 
you didn't send me in to fix this person. You have sent me in to ask you, what do you want to do here? What do you want to say to this person? And so through that, I have been able to see God just come in and heal parts of people's hearts. And I've seen um, people come to Jesus through it. And it's just been such an honor to be a part of this um, this prayer ministry. And I just, yeah, I guess I shared a story from in the last service, so I can do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this one woman that came in, and she actually wasn't really that familiar with Jesus at all. And so we decided, we're like, okay, well, instead of praying for your heart, let's just, let's teach you about Jesus. And so there was this one young girl who had just arrived in Cambodia, and she had learned this um, diagram, which Americans love diagrams. Come, <laughs> um, I don't understand them. But it was amazing. We let her, we're like, go for it. We just want to encourage you to just try this. And so I don't know if anyone's heard of this, but it's called the three-circle diagram. And so that you draw a circle, and she started with creation, and then the fall of man. And then the second circle is the corruption that came in and the sin nature and what that means and what that entails. And as she really got into the down and dirty of describing what the corruption of the world looks like, the Kamai woman, she began to have a couple tears go down her cheeks. And you could tell, yep, she's understanding this part. And as they, she got to the third circle, which is the redemption part with Jesus dying on the cross, she just blank face she didn't get it It wasn't quite you know that's not their culture that's not their story they don't understand it and so uh, this other woman I was that was there with me she's from Indonesia she just did all that she could do she just leaned in and gently said to her Jesus is the savior and as she said it we could just tell something in the room just shifted and all of us got goosebumps from head to toe as we're sweating in this room right and my heart just skipped a beat, and I'm ready to stand up and be like, yes, Jesus is the Savior. You know, like we all just felt it. And this woman just lost it and just wanted to know more. She accepted Jesus right there and wanted to let him in and whatever that means. She was just so hungry. And what was so amazing about it is, you know, we can try. We can try to teach these people, but sometimes the Holy Spirit is like, all right, I'll take it from here. Let me just do my thing. <laughs> and all it takes is two simple words, or three simple words. Jesus is the Savior. And um, so it was, yeah, a beautiful moment. And it's an honor to be a part of what's happening over there. Um, so the second, the other picture. So these are some of the women. And a lot of the women that I pray over have families now. And they have children and they're not quite sure how to teach their own children about Jesus. They're just learning themselves and a lot of, I mean, for those who are mothers, you know that it just, you don't have a lot of, you feel like you don't have a lot of time to read and, and do that. So for them, it's even harder because a lot of them are illiterate and a lot of them don't have their own upbringing in the faith. It's all brand new. Um, but just this year, I don't know who's, if anyone's familiar with this, but it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible for Children. It's this amazing Bible for children, and it was translated into Kamai this year. And we've read it to our children, and there's been many times where I'm reading it to them, and I'm in tears because it's speaking to me. So we heard about this, and we were thinking we really would love to pour out on them. Mm. And because of churches like Northview, uh, we have, are funded, and we're able to do things like this. We're able to buy 20 Bibles and give them out to the women. And... Mm. Yeah, they were, I don't, I mean, the picture, 
they're not really big fans of having pictures taken to them. But here's a testimony of a one woman who received the Bible for her family. She said, thank you so much for giving me a book. When I received the book, I was very happy. I was planning to read the story for my children every night. But when I got home, I placed the book on the TV and went to cook. I heard my two girls then reading the different stories about Noah, Moses, David, Leah, and Mary. My heart was so happy. I told them to read it every time they are free from school. And every evening I see my two girls reading this book, and my small son is with them listening to the story too. And there's one girl near my house also that comes to listen. And so I just want to thank you guys for supporting us. It's it's really amazing to be a part of this family. We really do feel like it's, you guys are family when we come. You guys are so hospitable, and you take us in, and you're so welcoming and warm to us. So thank you for just being a part of our journey. Yeah. I don't need that, my love. Oh, yeah, I did <laughs> so um, I'm going to kind of just switch and talk about some things in the culture. And as Nikki said, this this inner transformation that we really saw happen in our own lives was really what started really where we, where we saw ourselves really ministering to the people a lot differently and a lot better. Um, that inner transformation, like we, we talk about it a lot and our organization kind of revealed this to us that all of us are, are like a tea bag. Like we have a tea bag. You all have a tea bag. You are a, you are a tea bag. And, and there's lots of things inside of a tea bag, right? And what happens when you take a tea bag and you put it in hot water? All that tea, just whatever's in there just comes out. Well, that's the analogy. Like, what's in our heart? You know, what's, what's inside? What pain, what wounds, what baggage from our culture, what, whatever. And it comes out. And it came out. You know, it came out in Cambodia. And Nikki just shared how that, how that process was for us and, and finding transformation. But as we find that healing, Nikki, used, we used to always feel so overwhelmed because we felt like we're the sick ministering to the sick in Cambodia often. And, and you don't want to go too far with that. God can use broken vessels all the time. That's what he does. But we had to really wrestle with that and, and find this inner transformation to be, able to, to be able to minister and even to have a heart for these people and to really see that they're walking tea bags as well. And they, they need this stuff. So um, one of the things about the Cambodian culture um, that... It's like this culture, but Cambodia doesn't, in their narrative, they don't have redemption. Like, it's a Buddhist culture, it's a Buddhist context, and you might meet a Bo- somebody in, in America that believes in Buddhism. Maybe they've kind of converted, and they, they love everything about the Buddhist faith. And you might look at their life, and you might even question, is that, I actually can see some fruit in their life. Like, they're real patient. Man, they have a career. And just from the outside, you might think, wow, like, what's wrong with Buddhism? I mean, you know, what's the difference? Like, what's the underlying factor? You got Christianity and Buddhism. What's the difference? Um, But in Cambodia, I think we all know the difference. I'm not going to go there with that. But in Cambodia, Buddhism takes on a whole different flair. And it's, it's about oppression. It's about animism. It's about spirit worship, superstition, like... If you don't light up the candles in the morning, you're going to have a lot of problems in your family. So it's, it's superstition to the max. And people are living in fear, like really, truly. And this idea of redemption isn't a part of their culture. It's not in their narrative. And what, 
we really love is that what Jesus brings to the table, what we come into and create culture and create business and do things, ministries, is that this is what Jesus is all about. He, he reverses guilt with forgiveness. You know, people are walking around with lots of guilt, but there's nothing in their Buddhist narrative that helps them with that at all. And shame and honor. It's, a, it's an honor and shame culture. So there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of honor. But the honor doesn't come from the weak. Like honor comes from the rich man. Honor comes from how perfect you look, how perfect you are, if your fingers are clean, if you have nice fingernails. Seriously. Then there's honor. There's honor in that. You know, somebody who... Um, in, in Cambodia, there's a lot of people that walk around with, um, tra- they're trash collectors, and they literally walk around the city day in and day out and collect trash. And I mean, even in our culture, that you'd think, wow, that'd be tough. But there is definitely no honor in that. There's sh- complete shame in that. But Jesus comes in, and he brings honor to that woman or that young man who's walking around collecting, collecting bottles. And Broken relationships, they're, they're family-oriented culture, but it's a hot, big, hot mess there in their, in their families. And so broken relationships, Jesus brings reconciliation. Oppression, he brings deliverance. When there's disease, he brings healing. And one of the things you see very prevalent is poverty. And not that we bring the, the prosperity gospel into Cambodia, but when Jesus comes in the scene and there's a holistic approach... Actually, there is economic well-being. And in, in some of the things that we're up to, which I'll explain in a minute, it brings a livelihood. It brings, like, dignity to these people, like what they're doing, what their, what their profession is. Jesus brings them honor, and he brings this transformation as redemption. But if you don't have a job, if you don't have a livelihood, that, that's kind of hard to live that way, actually. Um, and so... We're excited to be a part of that mandate, to, to go into Cambodia, to create culture, to bring Jesus in and kind of rewrite the, the story for Cambodians, that redemption exists. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing, and, it's, and it's, it's powerful, and Jesus is all about that. Um, and some of you might know from what we've shared, but in the past we've done woodworking. That's been a way that we can... Uh, be among the Cambodians, work with them, um, use our creative uh, abilities and creative outlets for us, but also work alongside Cambodians and bring discipleship, have true life-on-life relationships with them. And woodworking has been that. Um, we, the last time we were here, we were sharing with, uh, with you that we were with a group called Alchemy. And unfortunately, we're not that kind of fizzled out, but what it did for us is it really birthed something, and, and what we want to try to get into now is actually a business of our own. We would like to open up some kind of business in Cambodia that does woodworking, that employs Cambodians, and it also is a venue and a place to create culture and bring redemption into their narrative again. And we really see um, business in this way, as, as that means. And so... Um, the past six months, uh, actually, it's been a year, but I've been working with just a, a nonprofit that, that kind of does some woodworking. 
And it's kind of been a really neat catalyst to kind of do some testing with like how we could do business. And this is a this is a project. These are two guys. We built some Adirondack chairs, and uh, those are definitely not in the Khmer culture. They don't even know what that is. Uh, but I, I hope I can paint a picture of how amazing it is. And it's like there's a teaching moment in every step of the way with while we're building that chair, like every moment of it. So these two boys come from a very poor culture, very, very poor. Like it, I can't even fathom the, how poor they actually are. And total broken relationships. Their fathers are just drunks. Their mom, they grew up like living in a shack and they took care of themselves from like two years old. They just grew up and like somehow survived. It's unbelievable. So when I come in and I actually care for them, I'm not, I, I, just, I, just, I just love on them. They almost weep in your hands because they love it. And so I'm being like a father figure as we're building a chair. As we're building the chair, I'm, I'm doing things and they're looking at me like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what's that for? What's this for? Because I'm getting all the pieces together. And I'm just like, hey, pay attention, keep watching. We're going to do, do another one of these later, so take notes. Um, but so, so what's, what happens in that context as well is that they're being developed like they're, they're learning a skill. They're watching me and I'm teaching them and they're learning a skill. Another thing that happens is I ask them questions like, do you see the shape of this? What do you think it should look like? Like, how could you change this? And that's not a question Cambodians ever get asked, ever. Like, it's this way, you follow it this way, and that's it. Creative thinking, um, like, uh, like, we grow up learning like the scientific method. We're like critical thinkers. We've kind of, no, that's not how they learn. They learn by just, this is how it is. Memory, you got to do it. Shout it out. Boom, done. End of story. And so when you can empower them and ask them questions like, well, what do you think about this? At first, they don't even know what to do. They're like a deer in headlights. They can't answer the question. But as we're building this chair, by the end of, the, by the end of this time, these two young men have ideas. And we do another chair that looks a little bit different because I've empowered them to like, give me some ideas. And I give them honor and I speak, speak blessing to them like, hey, yeah, like, great idea. Like, let's, let's try that. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Like, there's these, these, these 25-year-old guys and maybe they look strong sometimes, but they're so frail. They're so weak inside. They've been, they've been shamed. They've been hated on. They've been just like, don't talk. And they're just so weak, but they've found Jesus and they're learning so much every day. And so back to this building this chair. So we have a father's love. I'm just loving on these guys. We have developed skill. We have empowerment to, to like make them feel worth. And by the end of it, you know what else comes out of it? Like this, there's a, there's a special word in Cambodia, in Khmer that I love. It's called motanapip. And it's, it means pride, but it's like the pride of your work. Like good pride. Like, man, I built that chair. Like, look at that thing. Ah, oh, just, that's awesome. And, and I'm, I, I teach them about motanapip. I also teach them about, you know, being a prideful man. And it's just amazing. And they start to like walk in this 
I'm a craftsman. There's honor in this. Wow. Even though my culture says that this is like the bottom of the barrel, I'm pretty much equal to the trash collector. But no, actually, you built that chair and we just sold that chair for $500. What? Oh my goodness. So you, you bring... You bring this motanapil. You bring this pride of like who they are, like an honor. They can have honor. They can. These t- the guy on the left is a father, and when I first met him, he didn't even care about his kid. He didn't even know what to do with him. He just almost wanted to just let him figure it out at two years old, just kind of hang out at his house. But I've been I've been like modeling it for him for six months, and I'm starting to see him actually care about his son. Like he he's. He's because he's feeling like, man, I got pride. I'm not just a woodworker. I'm going to work every day. We're building really cool stuff. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to be like, son, I love you. And it's, it's neat. It's starting to happen. And that's all just, that's not a program. You know, that's not, that's not some church thing, even though it is. It's, it's life on life discipleship. It's, it's spending time with these guys. And that's the beauty of what, this we hate calling it a platform, but this, what this what this platform creates, and and he, th- these aren't the only stories. It's it it happens with every guy that comes through that door, and so um, yeah, we're just really excited about that that platform that we can use. And as we as we move forward and we head back to Cambodia, we're really we're really looking forward to how God opens those doors to to start a woodworking shop of our own where. Yeah, we just facilitate that. That we bring redemption into the narrative of the Khmer culture, and uh, really excited about that. So, I wanted to share a quick story. Yes, I'm okay. So, in in this context, um, talk about oppression. That, like I mentioned, this culture is very. Uh, superstitious and it's very oppressive because they're scared they're, they're really scared all the time and this one guy who worked with us um, a woman came up to me and said that she had a, a young man that wanted to be baptized and I didn't know this young man he actually wasn't a woodworker he was working doing some other things outside but with with this NGO and she was all very excited about it and I said well let's let me talk to this guy first let's let's kind of have a little relationship let me see where he's at so he comes in and we start talking we ended up meeting another day a couple days uh, of meeting with him and he was really excited he has got this he had just heard about Jesus he wants to follow him and actually there was he wanted to get married and so I had to kind of figure out are you getting married are you believing in Jesus so you can get married or you know and he he just I could see genuine faith and it was really cool and it was really neat we were talking about things but one of the things he was struggling with was, was trusting Jesus and I was talking about um, putting his faith in Jesus and that translated into something really confusing he did come I don't understand that faith like what is faith and I was really trying to explain to him what trusting Jesus meant and as that was happening I didn't feel like we were going anywhere, and so I look over, and I notice that he's wearing a red bracelet around his wrist. And the red bracelet is just another superstition. They wear them around their, 
wrists to protect them from the evil spirits. It's common. That's all they ever do. They even tie red strings on their cars, on their motos. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what it's for. And I noticed that, and I thought, oh, that, that, that could be good. So I asked him, I said, so Dara, when you put that red bracelet on, actually, no, I asked him first. I said, what, what's the red bracelet for? And he told me, it's to protect me from the spirits. And I said, when you put the bracelet on, are you putting yourself above the spirit or are you putting yourself below it? And he was like, wow, never thought about that. I mean, he was, it was a profound question for him. And he proceeded to tell me, I actually put myself below it. Like the spirit has the power. I'm just, I'm just kind of protecting myself. And in that moment... I was just like, oh, Dara, that's what it's all about. When you put your trust in Jesus, like when you put that bracelet on, you're actually trusting in yourself. Like you're doing something that's protecting you. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust Jesus, actually, you're taking that red bracelet off and you're putting yourself above the Spirit. He has the authority. And that was really awesome for him. He was like, wow, I've never heard that. That makes total sense. And we talked and high five, all this stuff. Well, he never took the bracelet off at the end of that day. And I didn't ask him to. Yeah, that's really important. I didn't ask him to. I didn't tell him, you need to take that off. I wanted him to decide for himself. I wanted the Holy Spirit to convict him. Anyways, two weeks later, that lady came back to me and she's like, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Dora took the bracelet off. He's not living with it anymore. It's amazing. No, 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 no. So, um, again, oppression with deliverance. He's walking in new, new, new truths, new powers. He's, he's learning what it means. It's not just some foreign guy coming over and said, yeah, you've got to have faith in Jesus. What does that even mean? Well, he knows now. He knows what putting his trust in God means. No longer does he wear a red bracelet around his wrist. So, um, one last slide for you all. Uh, this is a picture of something that we made. It's actually... There's like eight or nine different species of wood. And someone asked us to make something and they said, the theme is like bursting forth in the spirit and all this stuff. And we were like, oh. So I had some Cambodians are talking and this is kind of like an idea. And it represents all the, as far as we know, all the wood in Cambodia. And we just built this cross. And it was really cool. And this is the same guy in the other picture. And we're just building this and it, it was awesome. But... As we move forward, we really want, we, we, we sense God challenging us and moving us to start this business. We're really excited for that. But one of the things to kind of like connect it with what Nikki was saying in Haggai is like God does the work. He transforms. He brings people back. They build it. Everything happens. But at the very end of all that, he says, to them, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake the nations so that the treasures, wow, I can't see, the treasures of all the radiance that come in, all the nations that come in, and I will fill this house with my glory, says the Lord. Right there, that's what we hope. Like, we're going to start a business, but we are giving it to him. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And this business is his. It's all his. But as we walk forward and we do whatever we do, it's, 
it's all worthless if God doesn't just show up and let his glory fall on that place and people are transformed. And that's what we're trusting for. That's the only reason why we want to do it. We just want to walk in and say, hey, God, use this. And we're excited for that. And so we need you guys. We need the prayers to move into that. We need prayers of protection. We need prayers of opening doors and everything. So we're excited to be partnering with you guys in that. And um, yeah, it's amazing. So I hope you can... We're going to be out here and we have a little sign-up sheet for a newsletter that we put out. No pressure. We're not going to come after you for money. But it would be cool if you could track with us and we send out prayer requests and stuff. And it would just be really cool if you tracked with us because Nikki, Nikki mentioned it before, but um, I was recently hanging out with a friend, some friends, and when I walked into their home, above their door it said, you belong here. I thought, wow, that's amazing. Well, that's how we, th- that should be on yours too because that's how we feel. We feel we belong. M- many of you probably didn't even know who we are, but we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and we're all actually going to Cambodia. We're just the ones who are physically going. But we're hand in hand. You guys are sending us out there. And we really do need your prayers. We do need you guys. We need your partnership. And we see it as that. So um, thank you. And I hope I can meet many of you. We can meet many of you later. It'd be awesome. Let's give them a hand. So specifically what they need prayer for is there's a number of pieces now that are going to come together, what, in the next couple months, right? And so there's equipment coming in. They need a place. All this stuff's got to happen if this discipleship place is going to, this woodworking guy, Allah, discipleship place is going to happen. So they need our prayer. So let's stand. We've been sitting. Come on. Let's pray for them together and lift them up in prayer. Hug your wife. You guys are cold. You can hug her. All right. Father in heaven, as we stand here, we have had a wonderful time tracking with Ryan and Nikki. We have watched their story. It goes all the way back to when Tim was the youth guy here, and we got introduced, and we've been walking together for six years now. They're on our wall of fame outside there in the hallway, and Lord, we right now seek you. There's some things that really have to come together that looks like they are, but we also know that that is a very dark nation that there are some powerful spirits in that country and that Satan is opposed to any sort of light getting in. And so we seek for your protective covering uh, for equipment, for people, for training, all that stuff. And we ask that you would uh, birth this woodworking company that would become a discipleship center. And, Father, we pray that you will continue to empower Nikki in working with these women and men who are being freed from the sex trade, Lord. And we ask that you will bring others around them. And we ask that we can be partners with that. So we give all of that to you in your name. And God's people said, Amen.